everyone. I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer, and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself. So I chat to all sorts of well-being experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. This week I wanted to tell you about an app I've recently discovered and I'm really happy because they are now supporting the podcast. It's called Family Album. It's absolutely free on the App Store and has over 5 million users all over the world. So I was looking for a way to share photos of Jessie and my growing bump with mine and Guy's family, but without clogging up their phones with messages. And that was totally safe and secure. And this app is perfect. It's free, as I said, it's also ad free. And what my family have been loving the most is the one second movies, which the app automatically creates for you. My granny, who is 87, says she cries every time she sees one. It's so sweet. I highly recommend you check it out. Search family album wherever you get your apps from. Now onto this week's episode. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky. Sometimes when I've recorded an episode, I will get this instinct that it's going to be a bit of a game changer. I had it after I recorded the Gabor Mate interview and I've had it since I recorded this one. So this episode is with Eve Rodsky. It is about the mental load and invisible labour. She's written a book which... I think it's a paradigm shift. It is an incredible book. It's called Fair Play. Share the mental load, rebalance your relationship and transform your life. And tons of books have been written, haven't they, about mental load and invisible labour recently. But why I think this book is different and Eve's message is different is that she doesn't just tell us the problem. She gives us a solution. So what Eve has done is she's categorised the top 100 things that make up mental load and invisible labour and gives us a system for dividing them more fairly in our families. She doesn't only give us the system, she tells us how to implement it, how to troubleshoot it. She's taken thousands of couples through this. So that's why I've got a feeling this episode is going to be an important one and a really exciting one for you to listen to. Reese Witherspoon has said that Eve is the Marie Kondo for sorting out your life, not your drawers. And having read the book, I can see why she said that. Eve is smart, she is articulate, she's humble, she's funny, and she has also spent seven 
years of her life getting into this and studying it and working out what we can do to change it because she says if we really want equality this is what we have to change we have to change how much mental load we are taking on and it's not just about asking our partners or you know our extended family to do something it's about being able to then fully trust and let that element of our lives go. So even I chat about what the problem is, why this game is so rigged against us. She talks about her moment of realizing that something had to change and it's pretty funny. A lot of the women who were trying to do it all were reporting to me that they had insomnia, that they were getting autoimmune diseases, that they were having panic attacks, that they were tired all the time. It was very, very overwhelming to see those types of costs. She shares some of the really shocking statistics around mental load and visible labor inequality from around the world. Statistically, women do things that can't be done on their own timetable when men like to do things that they can do when they can. She's pretty strong with us actually so i hope that you're ready to listen about what we're doing that doesn't help ourselves so she says that so many of us and i know i do this still think well i'm the only one that can do it the right way if i give it to someone else to help me do this you know pack the gym kit whatever it might be it won't be done right and she talks about that and how to change that mentality and how that mentality is not helping us and then of course she gives us what we can do about it the solution So I hope you're going to love this episode. I have a feeling that you are. I have a feeling this is going to be one that I'm going to get lots and lots of messages about. So please do message me. Nothing brings me more joy. Sometimes people apologise when they contact me. Sorry, I know you're so busy. I don't know if you'll have the right time to read this. I promise you I read every single thing that gets sent to me on Instagram, on email. I absolutely love hearing from you and getting feedback from you is something that keeps me going. So please do send me a message and let me know what you think of this and excitingly I've also got five copies of the book to give away so if you are listening to this episode in the week that it's released which is on the 4th of October then head over to Instagram and you can enter to win a copy of the book here's the episode so Eva I'm so excited to have you here thank you for coming on the podcast Thank you, Zoe. I'm so happy to be with you. I've read every article you've written and I love your voice. I think it's such an important voice for mothers. Thank you. Well, I, you know, this is going to sound like Mutual Appreciation Society because I absolutely loved your book. I think there's been so much conversation, which is a fantastic thing about mental load, visible labor, but I haven't read anything yet that has given a solution like your book does. So I'm really excited to share this with everyone. So my first question I want to know is, can you tell the Blueberry story and how you got into writing this book? Yes, yes, of course. I'm a product of a single mom household. I grew up with my mother, Terry and Josh, and my father wasn't around since My brother was born, we were three, and they got divorced. And so I got to see firsthand what it looked like for one woman to hold all the cards. That's my metaphor in the book for all our invisible labor. And, you know, that meant helping her circling late utility notices when they would come, 
working with her on an eviction notice when she worked late and came under our door when I was eight years old saying, you know, we're going to be evicted from our apartment. And I vowed from that early age that I would have a true partner in life. I really didn't want to have the same experience as I had growing up. So I did. I married that true partner. His name is Seth. We're still married today, actually. It's great. But, you know, we started so fair. We loved, we had the best time in life. We were growing our businesses together. He was helping me with interview questions for my dream job in philanthropy. I was helping him mark up his operating agreements because I'm a lawyer by trade as he was growing a new business. We took turns ordering in dinner, doing the dishes. It felt really fair. Well, cut to two kids later and I find myself literally sobbing on the side of the road over a text my husband sent me. And that text just said one thing. It said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And as I sat there sobbing on the side of the road, well, the first thing I was thinking was if my marriage is going to crumble, it should be over something way more dramatic, like my affair with an NFL player or something like that. But what I was really thinking was I used to manage a team of employees and now I can't even manage a grocery list because I'm so overwhelmed. And more importantly, how did I become the default for literally every single childcare and household task for my family? And that's when I knew something had to change. And so I embarked on a quest for domestic rebalance that I knew so many of us needed. And that included interviewing over 500 men and women for this book, along with experts in eight disciplines, including psychology, sociology, neuroscience, social work, on and on. And that's what ultimately became Fair Play. You said default, but in the book, you call it she-fault. Yes. I love that because it's so true. So many of the mums that I hear from say, I never remember signing up for taking on (laughs) all of this invisible labor. And some of the statistics in the book, it'd be great if you could share some of the headline ones, actually. You know, the UN, you cite in the book, don't you? We're still doing three times the amount of unpaid emotional labor as men. What are some of the other shocking, I guess, I found them quite shocking statistics that you found that mirrored your reality across the Western world? Women are still shouldering at least two thirds of what it takes to run a home and family, regardless of whether they work outside the home. You see that from the Time Journal study. But what I think was the most interesting finding or scientific finding was in response to a common response from women about why they were the she-fault parent. And that was that they are just better multitaskers than their husbands or their partners. So I really wanted to dig in because the popular culture literature is not clear. So I went to the top, top, top neuroscientists who work at Harvard and other international institutions And I asked them, are women better multitaskers? And there's a resounding no. Women are not better multitaskers. Even when you design studies to try to find out whether women are multitaskers, there is nothing there. But I had one 
really important neuroscientists say to me, well, imagine if you can convince half the population that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. That would be very helpful to the other half of the population. So that was one of my neuroscientists off the record comment. And I thought it was a really powerful finding and a powerful quote. That's really powerful. Because what he's saying really is that this has served a patriarchal society for decades. Yes. Forever, forever. Yeah. I love how, you know, that the first part of the book is what you and I are talking about now, really setting up the problem. And you very articulately describe, you know, when women were given, you know, a lot of the freedoms that we have today to work and around education and access, we were always promised this sort of redistribution of home life that has to this day never arrived. Correct. It has literally never arrived. And what I found was that there's some real important costs. And of course, we'll get to the solution. But I do think it's important to focus on the cost because, you know, it could be very overwhelming. But if you look at it in terms of cost to our careers, I'm sure you've heard, you have, but maybe your listeners haven't heard of the motherhood penalty. So there is a motherhood penalty where women lose 5 to 10% of their wages for every child that comes into the world, whereas men statistically gain a 6% salary increase for every child that comes into the world. And I did my own research with my own data set to sort of mirror the motherhood penalty. And I found the same thing. I found men and women both saying to me, they'd rather hire a man than a woman with a newborn at home for reasons like she's not going to be committed to the workforce to other reasons where they said to me, her breastfeeding is going to be disruptive. So motherhood penalty is a real thing. We see it in science. I saw it in my data. There's also cost to our mental health and our physical health. A lot of the women who were trying to do it all were reporting to me that they had insomnia, that they were getting autoimmune diseases, that they were having panic attacks, that they were tired all the time. It was very, very overwhelming to see those types of costs. And then of course, there's a cost to our identity, which I talk a lot about in the book and about who are we after children when our cultural milestones are that we're supposed to just be a mother. Are we allowed to be who we are, who we were before and our marriage? Nobody wants to live with resentment, but I saw a lot of fighting over very, very small things. And unfortunately, that's sort of where we end up in midlife where people are fighting over glue sticks and off-season blueberries like me. And I know there's a better way. And I love in the book, you say resentment grows out of perceived unfairness. Yes. So the other thing that I want to, we're going to get into the game and the game is just absolutely brilliant. But something else I wanted to ask you about is this idea. So you've debunked that myth. Women's brains are not more better at multitasking but what I hear a lot of from you know women in the UK and my my clients that I work with is that the men or your partner if it's same sex or maybe it's someone helping you if you're a single parent this is across the board isn't it it's not just about heterosexual marriages that's an important point yes I hear more and more they just don't do it right and I love how in the book you really confront us as the reader and as modern mothers 
to let go of that idea. It's definitely getting in our way, isn't it? That our way is the right way. My personality profile before I started Fair Play, I called myself an accidental traditionalist with a moon rising in my way or move out. And this is what I realized. I'll tell you a story. So this man in America, I have a lot of UK interviews too. This is an American man who tells me that one night he was locked out of his house because he forgot to bring home a glue stick. And he's driving around his suburban town, deciding, do I go into the city and have a drink? Do I get a hotel room? Is my wife going to let me back in? But he forgot to bring home this glue stick and he is afraid to go home. Now, what I found out from his partner's perspective, from his wife's perspective, was she'd been working for weeks on a homework assignment where they had poster board and they had to cut out pictures. And she also works full time. And she was just down to the wire for her child's project the next morning. And they needed to glue all these pictures onto the giant poster board. And her husband couldn't even remember just this one thing. So yes, women all over the country and internationally are saying things to me like he can't do things right. But it's because, and I talk about in this book, We are not giving any context a lot of times for what we're asking. Pick up the sand. I have a great one where there's a story about marble Legos, where this man hears marbles. And he's telling me that he's looking everywhere in his house for marbles. But his wife had said marble Legos by the entrance. So he's looking all over the house for marbles. His wife's screaming at him because he can't even pick up the marble Legos. But he heard marbles. That doesn't work. It doesn't work for us to be the CEO and the worker bee of our house and just issue drill sergeant-like commands because A, no one remembers that. B, it's not how we do anything elsewhere in our lives, including the workplace. And C, it doesn't give men the opportunity to own anything or stand up for their role in the house. You obviously have a really strong background in sort of corporate and management and you use a lot of that language in the book. Like we would never disempower an employee and expect them to show up as their best selves. And I think this is, this is exactly the same thing, but we're only doing it, as you say, because so many of us are at that boiling point all the time, which is what your statistics showed about stress and burnout and overwhelm. So we are barking these orders at the people that are meant to be around supporting us. Yes. Then feeling resentful. And you can see the cycle. You mentioned when I just answered that question about being an accidental traditionalist, people listening, if they haven't read the book, won't know what that meant. So can you describe the three types, isn't it? So four four types. Four types. Okay. Because I loved this thinking, oh, which one am I? And it's so apt. So the first one is the new superwoman, right? Yes. Fair Play has a lot of fun things in it. It has quizzes. It's meant to make very serious, important subjects accessible and fun as much as they can be for women. But it should be. It should be that we can all laugh a little bit around these topics too. But yes, there's a personality quiz in the book. And the reason why I did that is because what I found, and this is what the science shows too, back to perceived fairness. Perceived fairness is actually more important than any actual scorekeeping, statistic, whatever list that people you know would make, the perceived fairness. So your fair, Zoe, is going to look very different than my fair as Eve, as long as it feels 
fair to both parties. So part of understanding what feels fair to you is knowing who you are as a personality type. So the intentional traditionalist, someone who has expected and wanted to make the home life their quote-unquote job and they take real ownership of it and their partner goes out into the workforce, that's what I call an intentional traditionalist. Nobody can hold all the cards. I'm still advocating that no one holds all the cards. It is untenable. But they're going to look very different than me, who is what I call an accidental traditionalist. And that is someone who, and it's a very common personality profile, where your career and marriage combo don't look the same as you envision them to be. And that's because you don't understand exactly what it means to have a baby before you have a baby. And so it takes you by surprise and often takes you out of the workforce. 43% of women leave the workforce after children with some sort of career detour. So 43% of women with kids have some sort of career detour, according to one study. So that's sort of what was happening to me as I was taking over blueberries that day in my car. Also, what was happening to me was I had a newborn at home with a babysitter. I was trying to transition my son to preschool. I had a breast pump on the passenger seat of my car. I had a literally a client contract in my vagina, like sitting on my lap with a pen. I was like falling between my legs, trying to mark it up between lights as I was driving over to the preschool. And then on top of that, I'm getting this text that I didn't get my husband's blueberries for his smoothie. It was too much. That's a typical accidental traditionalist where it's just too much. So unfortunately with that profile, a lot of women end up exiting the workforce or they dial down their career aspirations because we yeah. only have four hours of a day. And I think this is, you know, just my intuition tells me this will be the biggest sector of people listening will fit into this. So these people are typically working, if that's, you know, half a day a week or full time, they'll be doing some sort of work, but also will be taking on the lion's share of the invisible labor, the work at home, the mental load, which and describes that, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that was me. And well, let's talk about one more, what I call a toxic time message. One of them, as we talked about before, was I'm a better multitasker. But what I talk about, it made sense to me to have it on me because my husband made more money than me. So that was a very common response from a lot of women. Well, of course I'm going to do more because my husband makes more money than me. So I try to debunk that sort of old trope and say, we both have 24 hours in a day. And so if we start looking at our lives in terms of hours and not dollars, things will change. If we look at our lives in terms of dollars, women's professions always pay less. And even if you stay in the workforce, we're paid less anyway because of the motherhood penalty. So we'll always end up in a cycle of doing more if we think about our time as money. So I implore women, especially the other fellow accidental traditionalists out there, to start thinking about their time is equal to their husbands or their partners. And same thing for same-sex couples, this happens too. One person, it seems like their time is less valued than the other. We have to value as partners that all time is created equal, that both people in a relationship's time is diamonds. It's both worth the same value. So let's get into the game. Let's get okay. into the yeah. solution. So I want to tell you two more of the personality profiles. Oh yeah, okay. So we've got the new superwoman. Yeah. 
we have intentional traditionalists, accidental traditionalists. The yeah. other big one is the new superwoman. So the new superwoman is someone who works full time, often in a career that's more demanding than her partner, and still holds the majority of the household and childcare tasks. Those women, I call the new superwomen because I think back then superwomen was a badge of honor. And now I'm saying it is not a badge of honor because that data set is the data set most likely to report some sort of mental health issue or physical breakdown or reporting finally breaking out and saying, I'm done with the workforce. So all you new superwomen out there, I promise you there's a solution for you. But for now, hang in there because it is very intense to be a new superwoman. And finally, the last personality profile is what I want us all to become, which is what I call the collaborator. And the collaborator is somebody who, as we enter the game now, talking about the game, we can talk about it. But a collaborator is somebody who hands over a lot of the cards in the fair play system to their partner. and they gain so much more mental freedom and time back. Well, I feel very smug because when I read this, I was like, oh, I think I've become a collaborator. So I feel, you know, this is before I read your book. I was like, God, I've done this and I can verify the absolute huge difference. I want to hear about it. That it made. Well, it's not as systemized as what you did because what you did is you have broken down painstakingly every single job around invisible labor and mental load and it's all broken down in the book into 100 cards which is brilliant but I didn't have this my little girl's four so what I did is I sat down with Guy my husband and Jesse was about six months and I said listen these are some of the things that I'm going to need you to take care of and that was it and and I'm lucky because lucky I have a relatively controlling husband Good. So actually, you know, when we go on holiday, he's the one who comes to me with the file of everything printed and the cars booked in and he's done the flights and the car hires. By the way, can I just say something, Zoe? Most men are like that at their job. So we just have to bring them all to do that and own the stuff in the home with just as much vigor. Well, it only took a few times of us showing up at Gatwick Airport not having the car hire booked that he (laughs) could over. Like there's something about me saying, this is my limit. Like I can't be breastfeeding and the stress and remember. So if you want to guarantee that we're going to have a car parking space when we go on holiday, <laughs> you better book it. I so, love it. So you basically played fair play. And so this is the beauty of what you just said. You did something that actually a lot of women report to me are afraid to do. You sat down to have a conversation. So let's talk about communication for a second. Yes. I had a wonderful interview with someone who said to me that she did not want to have a conversation. Like you did tell me your husband's name again. Guy. With Guy, you know, her conversation with her guy over domestic labor, over the childcare in the home, because she was just concerned her husband was going to listen. It was going to cause a fight. The same woman in our interview later on tells me that when her husband forgets to put the clothes in the dryer, when he forgets to take them out of the washer, she puts them on his pillow. She takes the wet clothes and puts them on his pillow. Same woman who told me she doesn't want to talk about domestic life. So what I'll say to you, and there's other women that I've interviewed, and there's funny articles online to confirm this, 
who say the same thing to me, but then they have public Instagram accounts called things like the shit my husband doesn't pick up. And they take a picture and publicly shame their spouse for every piece of garbage or piece of clothing that's left on the floor. So what I'm going to say is very important. You are already communicating. Every one of your listeners is already communicating, whether it's by public shaming, eye rolling, withholding emotions, walking away, issuing those drill sergeant-like requests like I did, or that the wife of my glue stick man did. We are already communicating. So what I'm asking women is to communicate in a shift, communication shift, not a communication start. So you already told us that you were able to sit down with Guy, but I wanted to pause to say that a lot of women aren't even at that step yet where they feel like they can have a conversation about domestic life. So what I'm saying to them is, I promise you, you're already communicating. This is just a way to communicate in a way that's productive. And men love it. They are eating it up because it's a way to be unemotional. They use the word onboarding to a system. They know their role. I had one man say to me, if men don't believe in systems, like you've set up, just have them watch football or have them watch a basketball game because coaches know about systems. You don't show up to a field and say, which position am I playing? You know your role. What I'm saying to women is men are receptive and I give you the tools and fair play to start the conversation. I even give you a little paperless post invite to hand over to your partner if you're stuck. So tell us then about the game. We've got these hundred cards. Yeah. How do we play? Okay. So the hundred cards evolved from what was eventually unhelpful, which was a spreadsheet called the Should I Do. So the Should I Do spreadsheet was the most cathartic, amazing thing I could have ever done. And it went viral amongst groups of women across America, helping me source the Should I Do spreadsheet. And that is where the cards have come from. What I realized about the Should I Do is that lists alone don't work, but systems do. So when I started to gamify and use rules that I use in my day job, I'm a mediator a lawyer and an organizational management specialist. When I started to use the system language that I use with my clients, things started to change. So here's how it goes. There's a hundred cards in the system. Those cards are divided up based on what I call mustard. All you have to do is understand mustard to understand how the game works. So of the hundred cards, when you take a card, you just have to think about mustard. And when you think about mustard, Think about the fact that your second child only likes mustard. They don't like ketchup and they like the yellow kind, not Dijon. Then you have to have a place to write down that they like that yellow mustard, some sort of list, grocery list, I don't know, email to yourself on your phone. That's step two. And then you actually go to get the mustard at the store. That's step three. So women are knowing all over the world that their second son likes mustard. That's what women hold. That's conception. Women are also planning for how to get that mustard. That's the planning part, the list, knowing when they're going to get to the store. Men come in on the execution side, and that's minimally helpful. That is a glue stick moment. When you can hand over to Guy or to all of our men the full mustard situation 
where you're going to be thinking about it to planning it to executing it, it is transformative. And this is such an important point because you say in the book, this is mental load. If we are still thinking about the tasks that we need to quote unquote delegate, it is not playing fair. Real freedom, and I want to talk about unicorn time. Do not let's forget about that. But real freedom is about not having to think about, as you say, mustard. If I have to remind you, it is not helpful to me. It is not helpful to me. If I have to remind you, it is not helpful to me. A great study just came out of Harvard, which was perfect timing for fair play, that showed that women, even highly educated women who are able to have conversations with their partners who have, obviously they're in the workplace, they have difficult conversations on a daily basis, are still the ones holding the cognitive labor. That cognitive labor is the term, the scientific term. I call it CPE, conception, planning, and execution, or mustard, however you want to think about it. But it is imperative that when you hand over full ownership of something, you include the conception and planning. Ownership is not saying, oh, my husband is great because he takes my grocery list and goes to the store. There is real time and effort in making that grocery list. There's real time and effort in having to remember that your youngest child likes yellow and not Dijon. And guess what happens when you just include somebody in the execution? They bring home the Dijon mustard. And then there's a big fight because how do you not know that there's been yellow mustard in our refrigerator for 10 years? Haven't you been looking at our refrigerator for 10 years? And that's the fight that we're having in midlife. So how do we decide... We've got these hundred cards, which are everything from pet care to birthday parties to shopping to everything. We've got the hundred cards. How do you work out who does what? How do you make it fair? That is the beauty of the book is that I break it down. It's a step by step by step. What you'll see in the book is the cards come as sort of a download, a free download on fairplaylife.com. If you want to actually play with the cards, otherwise you can play with a list in the book. But I give you the steps from how to invite your partner to the table to how do you sit down to play. And what I will say when you play with the cards, it is a full card game, an actual card game that is based on ownership. The key is to start with your value system. And that's what I encourage people to do. And then the beauty of dividing it up is that once you start with values, your shared values, it's actually very easy to come up with who's going to do what in your household. And there's a very important point though. There are these cards that you're going to see that have these coffee cups on them. And the coffee cups are what I call the daily grinds. So it may be easy to figure out who's going to water your plants or to hold the plants card. If I see a plant behind you, that's one card. That you can do on your own time. That's not a stressful card. There are 30 cards in the system that I call daily grinds. And I call them daily grinds because you need a coffee cup to do them. And they include things like packing school lunches, homework. They include things like meals. They include things like transporting your children. Now, the reason why I call these out is because statistically women do things that can't be done on their own timetable when men like to do things that they can do when they can. So that is the data. And I thought it was really important 
that we don't end up in a situation of division of labor with the card game again, where women are holding all the daily grinds, the hardcore cards that you can't do at your own timetable, because then that just leads to, again, time not being valued, having to do things. And so the beauty of the game is that it calls out all of these things for you, including the daily grinds. And it says for the daily grinds, you're going to share them. And by share, I don't mean you pick up the mustard and I remind you to pick up. I mean, you hold the full card. So I'll give you one example. One example is my dad, who is getting more involved in my life as an adult. And he's trying to play fair play as, you know, with his second wife. And he said to me, I read your book. And so I now I'm bringing Milo, the dog, their dog, to doggy daycare in the morning so that Marcia doesn't have to. So I said to my dad, dad, that is exactly the opposite of what I say in the book. And so I don't believe that you actually read it because when you say you're taking Milo to doggy daycare now on Wednesdays so that Marcia can go to work earlier, I know that you know what I really mean is that you take full ownership of Milo for Wednesdays. You hold the pet card in its entirety. And that means feeding Milo all his meals, walking Milo, making sure he has a special vitamins for doggy daycare, actually picking him up from doggy daycare, making sure he gets his love and comfort for the day. That is pet care for Wednesdays. And then my father replied, well, that's a lot of work. I said, yes, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And it's for one day. And that's what you're going to do if you're really playing fair play. And guess what? He did it. And my stepmother said to me, I don't have to now worry that he's going to forget Milo in the doggy daycare because he's owning the full card for the day. That is what I'm seeing all over the world when people start playing. And this is such an important point, isn't it? Because two things stand out. One is that's a lot of work. It's like, this is why we need this book. Yes, this is the problem. And then the second point- She does it every day. She does it every day and still works. She does it every day and still works. And the second point is that these are capable. It's like we've almost infantilized the men in our lives that somehow wouldn't be capable of looking after a dog for a day. day. Right. But that's exactly what I said to you before, Zoe, that I think it's really important to remember those messages we give ourselves, this multitasking messages, well, he couldn't do it, he'll forget. It's just not true. Men's brains are just as good as our brains. It's just, as we said before, they haven't been conditioned to the wiping asses and doing dishes, right? So when they lean into the daily grinds with us, including pet care, which is a daily grind, Things change and men are reporting being happier in the ownership model, in the mustard model, in the CPE model, because they're not being locked out over glue sticks anymore. Yeah, exactly. You're owning things. And guess what? We all make mistakes, but this is the beauty. And I talk about this in the book. When you own something, it's much more likely you're going to carry through your mistake. So what was happening before is that you say you're in charge of extracurricular sports. This is a very popular one. It happened to my husband and me. My husband said, okay, I got Little League for my kids. And then I'm still running around cutting oranges, giving money for a coach's gift, finding my kids' registration, birth certificate, Xeroxing the the birth certificate, scanning the birth certificate, ordering online cleats, and then realizing the cleats are in the wrong size 
figuring out a time to return the cleats so that we don't lose the money. This is the craziness that's going on behind the scenes just to get my husband to the field. And then when we get to the field and my son doesn't have a water bottle, not only did I do all the things behind the scenes, but I get blamed for not bringing the water bottle. Oh, you couldn't even get a water bottle here. Oh my God, you said you're in charge of the extracurricular sports. Well, I got them to the field. You know, it's all this crazy nitpicking and fighting. And now my husband holds extracurricular sports card. I do not have to ever think about it again. And now that I have two sons in sports, it's about eight hours a week of my time that is magically gained. Wow. Practices and commuting and water bottles. And guess what? If my son doesn't have water at a game, then that is not for me to come in and fix. It's not for me to come in and save him. He'll just have to be a little bit thirsty or my husband will have to figure out how to get a water fountain or grab a bottle of water, but he'll own that. He'll own that quote unquote mistake. It's not for me to come in and fix because it is his ownership and I stay out of it. Yeah, well, every time we go in and fix, the message is, I still don't think you're capable. That's right. Back into that micromanaging, disempowering place. I will say, Zoe, what you just said is so important because it comes down to one word. It comes down to trust. And so many women would say to me, well, my husband can't even get a water bottle to my son's football game. How am I going to trust him with our living will? And it was a really important point. But what I say to you back is you have to give the opportunity to create trust. And men will step up. They do it. They're doing it all over the world. I see it in my beta testers. And this system has been tested with all walks of life, with people of all socioeconomic classes, with all different ethnicities. It is working. You mentioned getting eight hours back. So I want to talk about unicorn time, which is so important. We haven't talked about it yet. And then I want to ask you about some of the common pitfalls and then we'll be grinding towards the end. So tell me about what unicorn time is and why it's so important. Okay. This is back to what we talked about, the costs. The costs to accidental traditionalists like me, costs to intentional traditionalists, even costs to some superwomen. The book change from just a organizational management book to a book that embraces a concept called unicorn space. And what I mean by unicorn space is I mean magical space for women to be who they were before they had kids. That is just like a unicorn. It's mythical and beautiful and creative, but it doesn't fucking exist anymore. Men take their leisure time statistically. Women don't. And what I mean by that is not just for a pedicure or a manicure, because society and patriarchy tells us we need those things. I'm talking about what makes you uniquely you and how do you share it with the world? I'm going to infer that your unicorn space is this podcast or a version of talking to women because I see the beauty in what you do. I see the passion in your words, Zoe. For other women, it's things like baking, volunteer fighter fighting. For me, it was writing this book on the gender division of labor. It could be anything. But what happens is we lose it after kids. And I'll give you just one quick example of a woman named Josie that I talk about in the book, who was the most amazing skier. Skiing was her identity. She grew up in a working class household. She got a scholarship to a great university based on her skiing. She was part of the Alpine ski team. She lived on the slopes. It was her happy place. She 
has three children and she tells me that she leaves her skis in the airport. And I say, well, what does that mean? Explain what that means. She goes, my beloved skis, the things that carried me on the slopes that I still use because they're my favorite, favorite skis. I abandoned them at the airport when I was taking my kids on a ski trip to introduce them to skiing and bring skiing back into my life. And you can imagine why she abandoned those skis. They came off with the oversized luggage rack. They couldn't find the skis. Her baby was melting down and needed to be nursed. Her two older kids were fighting in the airport. Her husband was looking at her like, we can't just stay here all day and wait for the skis. So she left those skis. And that's a metaphor for what a lot of women do. They're leaving their skis behind in many airports all over the world. And what I'm saying is that your unicorn space is very, very important. And the more we let guilt and shame and the cards take over our lives, the less we become us. And that is ultimately the gain of fair play is to gain more time back for what I call the happiness trio. And the happiness trio is what 500 men and women said made them happy when I asked them if they could be given one hour of extra time in their day for themselves. That was a free hour. That would be magic. That would not affect their day. And they always said three things to me. They said things like, I would get my teeth cleaned. So that's true self-care. Or read a book on the beach, more self-care. I would grab a drink with a friend, adult friendships. Or they said, I would finally perfect my strawberry rhubarb pie. It's runny. I really want to learn how to use rhubarb. I love to bake. I want to just spend an hour figuring out how to not get my rhubarb runny. And so that's what I call unicorn space, right? What makes you passionate? What do you want to do? What active pursuit you have in your life? And a lot of women forget that. So adding back adult friendships without guilt and shame, adding back self-care without guilt and shame, and adding back unicorn space, which is based on our who we are and who we were before our children and who we can become now is really, really key to what I see as being in a happy partnership. And this is so important because there's a massive narrative and dialogue around the sort of motherhood world at the moment around the importance of self-care and modeling that to our children. I talk about it a lot and it is so important for sure. But what I think is more important is that women are trying to do that by just adding cards. They've now got the self-care card. Whereas what you're saying is, Go back a step. Yes. Sort out our domestic mental load, invisible labor, emotional labor. And then instead of having to add more things onto our already massively full and overwhelmed plates, then we actually free up time within that 24 hours, as you say, to do these things. So self-care becomes this unicorn time, this truly free time in which to bring our best selves to our lives as opposed to to squeeze in meditation because I know it's great for me, but I'm knackered and it's 1am, but I want to do it. That's not... (laughs) No, and that's there's one funny meme that's like, thanks for the reminder to schedule self-care. I'll just add it to the list of things I have to do. That was a funny meme because I take it seriously. When I was the person with the contract on my vagina and the breast pump on my passenger seat and trying to get my son to preschool and trying to figure out how I'm going to earn a living, think about how exponentially it's worse for women who have to be the primary breadwinner. It's worse for women who are obviously single mothers. But there's no time without a discussion of 
men stepping in and helping us with the cards, with the actual invisible work of running a family and home, because otherwise it's just another thing on your list to do. So I used to find actually finding your passion and purpose type books and memes very offensive because I wasn't finding any passion or purpose in my life. I was just trying to get by. But when you are fortunate enough to have a partner, there is a solution on the horizon. And I will say to women that there are women reporting, doing the most amazing things now with their unicorn space. There are women who are telling me that they're stepping into their true power at work, that they're going for the promotion. I had one couple say to me, this is like the reverse Alcoholics Anonymous, where you go in and you say to your boss, my name is Katie and my husband holds 17 cards or my husband holds 27 cards. So I'm going to be committed to the workforce, right? You just go in and you just blurt that out. And there's something beautiful if we start a cultural conversation around men stepping in with full ownership, with full mustard. And like I said, the beauty to them too, is that I haven't heard one man say to me, it's affected him negatively. I've just heard, I feel like I understand my role finally in my household. That is really the beauty of fair play and bringing men to the table in a collaborative way. I will say the Guardian, which I love, just had an article, but the end of the article said the only solution to this problem is to strike. Or, you know, the solution that was recommended in that article was to strike. I have one striker and she said she decided never to do laundry again. And so I said, okay, well, how did that go for you? This is her response. Her husband had a pile of dirty clothes and really dirty clothes. And he just started picking out his dirty clothes to wear. Didn't help her with her children's laundry, didn't help her with her laundry. So what I'll say is that if we want to communicate like that, that is going straight to confrontation. But I say, try collaboration first. At least try fair play first. Try collaboration. And then I'll let you start an Instagram account called the shit my husband doesn't pick up. But before that, try the game because systems work. They're communication tools. You stick with it, just like anything. The most important thing is the check-in, that you treat it like a staff meeting. Seth and I check in every single Friday between 11 and 11.30. We prioritize our check-in like The Bachelor, which I don't know if you have in the UK, but whatever your favorite reality show is that you would never miss, that's what I ask you to do with your check-in. Because when you sit down every single week and you start getting in a pattern of speaking about domestic life, and who holds what cards, it becomes very, very, very transformative to how couples communicate as a whole. Well, I do believe that this system has the absolute potential to change the lives of millions of women. And in the book, you know, clearly this is just a short podcast compared to this so comprehensive book, but I just want listeners to know that if you're thinking, yes, but what if my husband or partner says no, or if you're a single parent, if you're, you know, someone around supporting you says no, you have done an amazing FAQ section, haven't you? Where you've got every single thing that was going through my mind. What about this? How does this work? What if he says that? What about you have written, this is what you would recommend based on seeing people implement this system. So yeah. This podcast. Yeah. yeah, I'm just conscious we may be raising more questions as we get into the how, but you know, in the book, it is all in there, it's all outlined. That's a bit of research, right, Zoe? I mean, I think the reason why this took me seven years to write, ever since I had that blueberries moment, was 
I didn't want this to just be my experience. I think there's a lot of books out there around invisible labor, invisible work that are almost like a memoir of someone's own experience. If you don't relate to my experience, how am I going to know if it's going to work for you? So to me, you do the work, you go out into communities and you test it. And so that's what happened. People were making what I call, you know, sort of the top 13 mistakes and the fair play fix. There is a whole section that just talks about what happens when people start to implement. Like any system, there's going to be mistakes along the way. Nothing is perfect, but the beauty is you stick with it. And then slowly things start to change slowly, slowly, slowly. And so that's what the book is there to show exactly all the troubleshooting. And I think that's the difference. As you say, you know, I've read many of those types of books on mental load and invisible labor and second shifts and, you know, all the phrases that we have in our armory today. But I think the difference with yours is the grounding in research. You know, you've spoken to some of the top, 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 top people globally about this issue, but also the intelligence with which it is written. You do not talk down to women and you don't talk down to men. And I think that's so important. This is not about men bashing. And I think that's another big difference than I've seen with some of the others. So I think this is a breath of fresh air. And I'm not surprised that you've got people like Reese Witherspoon, you know, absolutely heralding it because I think it could have the potential to have a huge impact, this system that you've developed. So you are welcome. So thank you for sharing your system with all of our listeners. I'll be in the UK. So I will let you know, Zoe, when I'm coming in in November. Yes. Person. Well, we were originally going to do this in November, but I am having, you can't see, but I've got a very big baby belly here. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah. So my baby is due the end of November. So I'm trying not to work in November at all. So your publicist said, oh, she's coming over mid-November. I said, no way. No, no, no. I'm so glad we're doing this now. I'm so glad we're doing this now. And you know, this is a good opportunity for you to check back in with Guy and to say, let's reassess what's going on. Is everything working well? Because every time a new child comes, I call that a wild card in the book. It's just an extra trigger to have those deep conversations. Well, I'm going to use your system. Yes. Yes. Like I said, I'm here for troubleshooting. So yeah, I, now, I, now I've got your email. Yes. You're not going to stop hearing from me. I, um, I will be so happy. I spoke to a really top sociologist who wrote a book called Opting Out, this beautiful uh, book about why women exit the workforce. Her name is Pam Stone. And I spoke to her when I had about 300 interviews and she looked at me and she said, Eve, you're at what sociologists call the saturation point. You have to stop interviewing and move to the writing. And I said, well, the beauty is hearing the stories. So that's what I will say. Fair play is really a tribute to the men and women who spoke to me. There's no embellishments. They're concealed for privacy, of course, because these are intimate subjects, but these are true stories of men and women internationally, everywhere, who were able to speak to me and give me their stories. So I want to thank them for their stories. And yeah, thank you to them from all of us too. (laughs) So the final question that I ask everyone on the podcast is, if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the whole world and mothers in its broadest sense of the definition, what would you give and why? One word, time. Time, 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 time. I believe that if we add that word to our definition of feminism, typically you see feminism as a social, cultural, political equality of the sexes. 
What if we add social, political, economic, and time equality of the sexes? I think things would change. Our time is just as valuable as men's time. And I really, really hope that society, women, and men will start internalizing that because that's when we'll see true transformative change. You've just given me goosebumps. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.